Good afternoon, everyone. It's certainly as exciting to hear that uh, you guys are going to be able to meet here again next week, right? Good to hear that the uh, lease was extended and uh, certainly is uh, great to be able to have a place and uh, certainly we'll do our best to remember to pray for the entire church family as we patiently look for uh, the right place to go. Um, I know that could be stressful, but even like we've heard in a couple different hints here, the body of Christ, the church is here. It just happens to be meeting in this building, but this is the body here, and uh, certainly thankful for for God's work of grace in this assembly. Uh, I tell you what, last week it was boat races I was contending with. This week it's the rain, right? So hopefully we can... Uh, we can keep on plowing through here. First Thessalonians chapter 1, we'll finish up First Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning, this afternoon, and uh, look at verses 6 through 10 here in just a moment. I, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like a pool master. I don't know how many of you may have a pool in your backyard or had a pool uh, maybe at one time in your uh, in your life, but uh, a number of years ago, when our kids were smaller, we had one of those. It's about 15 feet in diameter, uh, four foot above ground. Assemble, you know, Toys R Us special kind of a thing. You buy this pool, you put it together, and you'd fill it up. And and so we 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 had this little pool in the backyard, and we were given some wise instruction. You know, put down some some nice sand, right, so it's soft under your feet, and the liner will last longer. We did all those things set it up in the backyard, and then, you know, once it was filled with water, of course, the kids immediately jumped in, no problem, but you know as well as I do, that eventually you're going to have to put some pool chemicals in there, All right, some kind of chlorine, or maybe you have a, a salt water uh, system. You need something in there to keep the water clean and, and, and pure and so on, and uh, I was given some different advice on what, what, uh, what to do about how much chlorine or chemicals go into the pool. So I, I, I wasn't sure I needed some advice, I should say. So I went to a few different folks. I'm like, what do you, what do, you do here? One guy said, just keep dumping a bunch in. Oh, that, that's <laughs> not helpful, but thank you. Uh, shock it every week. I'm like, do I scare it? What do you mean, shock it? What are you talking about? One person said, just go to the hardware store and they'll tell you what to do. So I went down to the hardware store. I talked to the lady who was working there. She said, and she was a young girl. She says, I have no idea, but my dad happens to be here right now. And he has a pool, so he can tell you. So, you know, six degrees later from Kevin Bacon, I found someone in the hardware store, right, who could help me figure out what to do. And I learned that shock was the stuff that was a certain kind of chemical and went through all the, went through all the deal with it or whatever. And what I began to realize is, that if you don't treat the water, it's going to become a problem. We went away for a week in the middle of July. Filter not running. Why would I do that, you ask, right? I had no clue. Came back and the pool had turned from a crystal clear blue to a nice puke green. So we had to put more chemicals in it. And we had to keep trying. It wasn't getting any better. So eventually I gave up and just emptied out the pool and started over. Well, I think we all understand that if we don't keep or maintain chemicals in the water, it's going to become a problem. When chemicals get added to the water, 
it makes a significant change. See, if there were no chemicals that were put into the water, it would just continue to, to, to deteriorate and fall apart and become gross and more gross and more gross. Do you recognize that when God's grace enters into our lives, it changes you? When pool chemicals are put into water, it will change the water to make it pure, right? To make it swimmable so it's not all nasty. When God's grace comes into our lives, it changes who we are. So when a person puts their faith and trust in Christ, when a person receives the gospel of God, it does something to change them. What we're going to see this afternoon looking at the rest of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is that God's grace changes disciples. God's grace changes disciples. Last week we saw that disciples thank God for the evidences of grace, but it's not just simply thanking him for seeing it. It's a recognition that there are changes that actually occur in a person's life. Grace does not leave, as we've heard in different ways, in different forms, grace does not leave a person where they were. It changes them to become something that they are not. This is the work of God's grace in our lives to change us so that we further see the evidences of grace. God's grace means it actually changes our lives. In just a moment, I'm going to read verses 6 through 10 from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I want us to see, again, how these disciples at Thessalonica, how they had received the word, how they served as examples how they communicated the word, and how their lives demonstrated repentance, and specifically how it was demonstrated through serving and waiting. So please follow along as I read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. God's grace changes disciples. You know, we're going to dig in here in just a few minutes to, over the next few minutes, to see how the Word of God is a powerful tool to drive our lives to different change. The imitation here of the apostles and of the Lord was through the reception of the word. The word is what they communicated. Their faith in the word is what went out. And so the evidence of God's grace is seen in that it actually changes people's lives. No one wants to hear someone talk more about the changes that they're going to do. Uh, you know, even, uh, even earlier today, listening to the fact that, that we have so much in politics, right, about how people are talking about all the great things they're going to do. 
I don't want to hear anymore. I don't want to hear anymore about it. I want to see something happen, right? I want to see them actually do something. Don't talk about all the great things you're going to do. Talk about the great things that you've done. Even Henry Ford pointed out that you don't build a reputation on what you're going to do, right? It is built on what you have done. And when, when we see God's grace at work and it changes someone, it is demonstrated in the way that one lives. Now, sure, of course it comes out in the words that we say. But really what it amounts to is how we conduct ourselves and live our lives. Verses 6 through 7, I want us to see, first of all, this afternoon, that disciples live the gospel. Disciples live the gospel. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. This phrase here, you received the word, really, in much affliction, is a key statement for us to understand about what was going on. Certainly, the circumstances which they had received the word were less than ideal, right? You could remember from a few weeks back as we first began to study this letter that there were people who were not happy with the work that Paul and Silas were doing. In fact, they got a mob together in the town, right? And they chased them out of town. You could read this in Acts 17, by the way. If we were to continue reading down through Acts 17, it's amazing what they did. This mob of people actually followed them into the next set of towns to make sure that they were going to make it hard for them as they continued to try to preach the gospel, right? I mean, and this is not dissimilar to things you hear of today where people bus in protesters into a certain city to make sure they can cause a ruckus of some sort, right? It's exactly what they were doing. They caravan down to the next town to make sure that the gospel was going to have a difficult time. It, it wasn't just simply, though, a matter of persecution, although it was that. This term also has a broader sense of alienation, has a broader understanding of alienation. So in other words, they receive the word in much affliction, or they receive the word resulting in their alienation. All of these concepts are, are understood here in this text. Conversion to Christianity was a change in social and family status. When someone became a follower of Christ... They were rejecting, in many senses, their own family backgrounds. And this didn't always go over well. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 3, of how the gospel would divide families. 1 Corinthians 8 talks about how you can be alienated, how believers were alienated from social functions. And that may not sound like that big of a deal. Okay, fine. I have to sit in a different spot at the boat races than someone else. It may have been that, but it actually was much worse than that. It could have prevented them from literally, to use a little bit of a turn of phrase here, uh, you know, you'll never work in this town again, kind of a thing. Well, now all of a sudden... It went from not being able to, you know, share a grill for, you know, cooking up hot dogs to, I don't know if I'm going to be able to provide for my family. 
or being removed from the family and the family inheritance and the honor that went with that. See, one of the difficulties, I think for me at least, and maybe for many of you, is that we are not really an honor-driven society like it would be in a Middle Eastern context or like it might be in, a, in an Asian context, right? There's some places where family honor is the most important thing. And when you are disowned from the family or dishonored the family, it actually becomes something of a permanent status where you are literally considered to be an outcast. This is a huge deal. You know, for us, being the fact that our country was born out of rebellion, don't overplay that, but you get the point, right? We didn't want, you know, we didn't want the king telling us what to do, so we'll go stake our own claim. Honor was not really what it was based on. That's just not the way our culture is. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's just not the way it really is. But for many families, in many cultures, this is a huge deal. Now, why am I pausing here to take a couple extra minutes for this? Uh, Meredith and I were talking about this not too long ago, and she's mentioned this a couple of different times. It used to be that you had to travel around the world to be a missionary to different cultures and to different places. Do you realize we don't have to do that anymore? I mean, it's amazing how many different nationalities, cultures, and worlds are now living right within some of our very own neighborhoods. You don't have to go too far from where we live to be in a Yemeni neighborhood. You don't have to go too terribly far to be in an entirely different Chinese culture. Those with whom God puts in front of your paths, you need to recognize that as you're communicating and living and sharing the gospel, this message, while simple, is hard. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The gospel message is easy to communicate. It's frankly very easy to understand. God, who loves all mankind, sent his son to die for man's sin. And when man puts his faith and trust in Christ, he's able to have confidence and hope of life eternal. Simple message. Trust Jesus, not myself. The hard part comes in when, when God's grace begins to change a disciple and a follower of God lives a life different than those family traditions. God's grace changes disciples. The believers here at Thessalonica certainly had received the word in much affliction and difficulty, literally having those who brought the gospel being chased out of town. So despite this affliction, I want you to notice something about the text, uh, from, from the text here. There was a joy of receiving the word that resulted in them ultimately being examples but there was this joy that they had in the Holy Spirit that they obviously continued to maintain. Look in verse number six again. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. The uh, presence of the Spirit here signifies that they were members of the new people of God. Going back to Acts chapter 2, really foundational aspects of the church, there's something different about those who are believers, and that is that they now have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Something different had occurred. 
they now had the Spirit operating in a different way than it had previously. And now, believers or followers of God have the Spirit of God. It is this work of the Spirit that provides gifts with the power not only to console, but also to instruct, to strengthen, and ultimately to bring healing to a community of believers. When we see all throughout 1 Corinthians 12, for example, there are all kinds of gifts that are empowered or strengthened by the Spirit of God so that when believers communicate the Word of God, it is the strength of God that changes men's hearts. So when there is a change that happens, there is a joy that's present when the Spirit of God begins to indwell and change someone. The Spirit was the evidence of salvation and ultimately is what gave assurance of life eternal. The strength that is present there is driven from the Holy Spirit. This joy of receiving the word then had a necessary consequence or a necessary result. In fact, one might say it is an inevitable Result. The inevitable result of someone being indwelt by the Holy Spirit is that they will be an example. Nowhere else a particular church had a pattern that inspired the discipleship of others more so than the church at Thessalonica. Why do I say that? Well, the text talks about how broad their influence had become. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. These two other areas began to hear of the amazing work of God's grace in their lives, and that joy in the spirit that they expressed went everywhere so that other people heard it, so that other people knew it. All the believers in this region, Macedonia was the Roman province in the northeast section of Greece, it included the cities of Philippi, Thessalonica, as well as Berea. Achaia was the province directly to the south of Macedonia, included Athens and Corinth, which is actually where the Apostle Paul was writing this letter from in Athens. So for a several hundred mile radius, churches established on the second missionary journey began to recognize all throughout Acts 15, really through 17, that there was something unique that had happened at the church at Thessalonica. This is pre-Facebook, right? This is pre-car. I mean, this is pre-everything. So how amazing was the demonstration of God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit that it began to spread through telefriend, right? No telephone, just telefriend. Or in some cases, tell your enemy. You won't believe what's happening up there. Either way, the joy of the Holy Spirit that was present in their lives as the demonstration of God's grace was now being spread all throughout the entire region, throughout a very large area. What I want to challenge us with this afternoon is whether or not we are living the gospel and the joy, that's and the, and the joy that should be present. Now listen, I've got to be honest. There are times where it's easy to be a Christian curmudgeon, 
right? Everything's terrible. It's terrible. Everything's bad. I mean, look how bad things are in the world. Yeah, it's true. It's what we call sin, right? Sometimes things go badly in life, in our lives, in the church, in the world, simply because of the reality of living in a sin-cursed world. But there is something greater that we have, and that is the communication of God's grace. It doesn't mean that things are going to magically get better, like we've got this pixie dust we're just sharing out everywhere, and take this, and everything is going to go perfectly fine. No, that's not the guarantee, but the guarantee is this, that God will give you the grace to sustain through that difficulty and through that trial. And so the joy of the Holy Spirit that was present, even in the midst of the difficulty and challenges that they faced, did not slow them down from communicating and spreading the truth of the gospel of God. It had changed their lives. The Spirit of God was so present that it was the joy of the Lord that became their strength. Have you ever been around some Christian where you're like, why are you so happy? Knock it off. Like, just dial it back a little bit. Right, I have a good friend of mine, I'm going to see him, Lord willing, at the end of the month here. He's coming up to visit, and uh, this guy just slobbers the goodness and graciousness of God. I'm like, what is wrong with this dude? And it's contagious, and it's energizing. Even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of suffering, the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. Why? Because it's the grace of God that has changed us, and it's the Spirit of God that drives us. We ought to be excited to share the truth with others by living the truth of God's word. You know, as we have opportunity to demonstrate God's graciousness, it's seen even in the people who allow the church family here to be meeting here. That's a demonstration of God's grace. The work that you guys have done by being gracious tenants. Don't let the little things slip by. And it is those things that, will, that as, serve as the foundation or the basis that you will be good stewards of what it is that God has entrusted to your care, be it a rented facility or be it your own garage that you meet in. Whatever it is, God's going to give us the energy to be able to plow through those things. We seek to model and be an example of the truth in our lives. That's what the believers in Thessalonica did. Our lives serve as a model or example of what we cherish and what is important to us. The things that we cherish and the things that we pursue, the things that become the motivating factor for who we are and what we are, those things show that we live the gospel of God when it is the joy of the Holy Spirit that drives us. How is this remotely possible? It can only come from an inner strength that the Holy Spirit provides. Because given to myself, I will always pick the path of least resistance, right? I'm going to do the lazy thing. Why? Because I'm a sinner. Right? Why am I going to do that? Because I am human, right? But when the Spirit of God has changed me and it reflects differently in the opportunities I see in front of me, that is the grace of God living through me. And so, disciples recognize that God's grace changes them. 
Disciples live the gospel, verses 6 and 7. Secondly, this afternoon, I want us to see that disciples communicate the gospel. Disciples communicate the gospel. Look at verse number 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. First phrase here, sounded forth. There, there's really no mention in the text here that this sounding forth means that someone went with the Apostle Paul to continue in his evangelistic uh, missionary journey, right? Um, it, it doesn't even indicate that they had, you know, sounded forth the word by sending out independent missionaries, I want us to, to catch the fact that we're talking about here the general activity of the church. Now, later on, there, there's, there's stuff in the letter here about sending people out to do it. But this sounding forth wasn't like, hey, you know what? We're going to have a holy huddle back here. We're going to pray, pull some money together. And Garrett seems like a nice guy. We'll send him to go sound forth the word. Okay, he might not be going, you know, that far. But at least in the area here, we'll have him do it. No, that's not, that's not what's happening here. These are all the believers that have had the gospel of grace change their lives that they are sounding forth the word in whatever context they're in, in whatever place that God finds them. In fact, it was spreading so quickly, it went to these entire regions, like you mentioned, and it repeats it here in the text. It couldn't have been one or two individuals. It had to have been the whole body of believers engaging in this activity. Sounded forth. The story of their faith had become well known. Quote, the Lord's message rang out is another way we might say here. It sounded forth. Everywhere their faith in God had gone forth. Now, I realize that there is a balance between, you know, what we communicate, when we communicate it, and how we communicate I don't want to be an idiot in how I communicate the gospel, right? The gospel message in of itself is ultimately going to cause challenges like we've already mentioned. So let's be gracious, right, in our communication. Let's be gracious in how we conduct ourselves. Let's show our integrity, not for integrity's sake, but because it reflects the gospel, right? Let's show our kindness, not because it might help us get ahead, but because it is the grace of God that has changed us. And all of these things, by God's grace, will give us opportunity to be able to share the gospel of God even further. Now, over the last seven plus years, I have been full-time working in, in, a, in a regular corporate job versus a vocational ministry job. And in the last seven years, it has given me some very interesting opportunities. Honestly, since post-COVID, it's been a little bit more of a challenge, but for the years leading up to COVID, uh, it was at times fun. Fun. I work with uh, a number of different folks, and one of the guys I was working with is uh, of, a, of, a, uh, of a Muslim background. And it was late in the afternoon. We're both kind of plugging away on some stuff, doing computer work, and I was kind of reaching that breaking point, you know, it was like, I don't know, 10 a.m.? No, no, no. It was later in the day. It was like 4, four in the afternoon, 4.30. 
And I'm just kind of rubbing my head a little bit, and I look over, and I see he's sweating, saying the same thing. I just kind of looked up for a second. He says, hey, look, I need a break. He said, can I ask you a theological question? I about fell out of my chair. All day, I got all day, man, energized. It was like, boom. And this is how the conversation started. He said, look, I've been reading in this Bible here, in the book of Deuteronomy. Well, now I, I'm still shocked at the conversation. And we're able to have a conversation about whether or not I thought my son would be held accountable for my sins because of what he'd been reading in Deuteronomy. And I said, well, let me tell you about Jesus. I mean, literally that quick. I was like, let's, let's just jump to this, right? And so we, we kind of segued nicely. Had a great conversation. I've had many conversations like that before and since. And what occurred to me is it is often the small what may seem like insignificant things that happen in your workplace and people that you engage with that become significant because people notice and observe it. And when you act with integrity and when you act with kindness and when you act in a way that reflects the gospel of God, you have no idea how you may have an opportunity to sound forth the gospel. And so when the church begins to have God's grace change them in the way that they live, in the way that they speak, in the way that they conduct themselves, the opportunity to see the Spirit of God spread forth and sound forth is staggering. Because in a pre-internet era, they were able to span hundreds of miles, all because of the work that God had been doing in their lives. It's the communication of the gospel that has changed lives that goes out. It's an impact of the gospel that becomes what you're known for. It becomes the communication and the demonstration of the truth of the gospel that becomes the point of impact. So let me uh, challenge our thinking a little bit this afternoon this way. What do you want to be sounded forth from Redemption Bible Church? What is it that you want to be sounded forth? These are the people who grumble about no building? No. Not likely. Uh, these are the people who have the joy of the Lord as their strength despite not having a building? Sure. Because it's not about those things, right? And I appreciate so much the leadership's design. And of course, who doesn't want to have a place to call? It'd be nice to have to set up, tear down, set up, tear down, and, and have 12 minutes to practice. And blah, blah, blah. Of course, it would be fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. However, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It is the word that guides us. It's that our hope is in the name of the Lord. Not in structures. Not in stuff, but rather it is seen in our Savior, right? And it is the communication of the gospel of God in the way that we live. This is what we want to be sounded forth. That is the gospel of God that has changed us. So what guides and motivates us with these principles from the word of God? Are we thinking of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, or are we pursuing our own kingdom? Even within work and service within the, within the local church, even within redemption. I, I'd like to be able to do her, and how come he is, she gets, and we turn into this 
What do I get for me out of it? Instead of seeking first to serve and demonstrate that the gospel has changed us. Are we fellowshipping with one another? Are we looking to communicate the truth into each other's lives? Are we looking to encourage one another, praying for one another, and telling one another that we're praying for each other? Even uh, this morning, uh, sorry, Dave, I'm going to embarrass you here. Uh, letting us know we're praying for us, right? Couldn't remember all of our names. That's okay, God knows. That's encouraging. Those little things are encouraging. I've gotten text messages at the most uh, ridiculous times of day and night where someone's just saying, hey, I'm praying for you now. Man, be that encouragement. That is where the joy of the Lord becomes our strength to encourage one another and we communicate and demonstrate the gospel of God even to one another. And that begins to boil over into other areas of life as well. God's grace changes disciples. Disciples live the gospel. Disciples communicate the gospel in verse number 8. And then finally in verses 9 and 10, I want us to see the disciples anticipate the fulfillment of the gospel. Disciples anticipate the fulfillment of the gospel. Look at verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The disciples of Thessalonica obviously had repented. They turned from idols to serve the living God, and we looked at that a couple weeks ago. We know that Paul began his preaching in the synagogue, and that lasted for a few weeks. And obviously there was sufficient time for him to be able to preach to the Greeks as well. And, and, and this particular phrase here was showing that there still must have been a fair amount of pressure for these people to return back to idols. And that's really what we're talking about here. Those who are the non-Jewish believers now, the Gentiles who are now facing this pressure to turn back to these other false gods or these other idols. As this pressure, I'm sure, was mounting, they had the grace of God that had changed them. This particular concept here is they were, first of all, serving God. They themselves report concerning the kind of reception we have, that they were, although facing this pressure to turn back to idols, they continued to serve God. You know, sometimes we tend to think of service to God as doing something here when we're gathering together for church. Lord willing, a little bit here, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper, right? Communion. And it's true, there are going to be people who either serve us or have prepared it. Obviously, they've served in some way. That is, is that service to God? Sure. But that's, it's, it's more than that. It's way more than that. Service to God and serving God, sometimes we tend to think as having a ministry title or responsibility. If I don't have an official name tag, then it's not official service. And that's just not the case. So thankful for all the people who are up here serving God and us as they lead us in worship together. So thankful for the people who are working behind the scenes serving the church family and ultimately the gospel of God by searching for a permanent place to meet. 
So thankful that we have people who are serving their families by communicating the gospel of God in the midst of difficulty and heartache. This is service to God. Those in your workplace that you have opportunity to live and demonstrate and communicate the gospel of God. This text here is speaking about disciples whose lives are characterized by service to God. Not coming to a place to do service, but that all of what they do demonstrates their commitment to the king. It demonstrates that they are serving ultimately God and not themselves. Our lives are not rooted in service to ourselves, but rather to God. And friends, what you dedicate your time, money, and effort to is who you worship. The things that you're most committed to, the things that you drive, that, 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 that do all of what you do, that is what you worship. Ultimately here, we're talking about what dedicates and drives disciples who have been changed by the grace of God is service to God. And they anticipate the fact that Christ is coming again. Last uh, phrase here in verse number 10, to wait for his son whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the true God, by the way. This is not a false God. This is the one who has been raised from the dead. The one who has conquered death himself can also conquer death for others. And that's exactly what Christ has done, conquered death. Jesus, who rescues and delivers us from the wrath to come, is the one who has conquered death already. There is no way I'm going to have confidence and hope in a Savior who he himself has not beaten what he said he is going to beat for me. And so we have this great confidence knowing that it is our Savior who conquered death, who will conquer the wrath or death to come. And that's exactly the reason why there is this anticipation of Christ's return. Believers are anticipating a crown where there'll be no more night, no more pain. There are people in this room who either they themselves or their family members are suffering with incredible pain, physical, emotional, or otherwise. And the one who has conquered death, where there will be no more sting, we are anticipating with great joy his return. And when someone has been changed by the grace of God, they are energized to communicate that grace of God so, because they are anticipating the return of Christ. The joy of the Lord becomes our strength. When the Spirit of God has changed a person's life, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of circumstances, they're going to serve the living and true God, not for recognition by others, not for a place or a position within a church, but rather because the grace of God has done something radical. The joy of the Lord becomes their strength. They want to tell others about it. They want others to hear it. They want others to live it. Why? Because they know that the King is coming. And so they want to be able to tell others. This is looking for that blessed hope that is to come. This is what give us, gives us great confidence in the gospel of God because it is God's grace that changes disciples. 
Disciples live the gospel. They communicate the gospel. And they anticipate the fulfillment of the gospel. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, thank you so much that you have changed us. God, we thank you that we are not always looking to see how we can improve ourselves for ourselves' sake, but knowing that you have changed us gives us great confidence, great comfort, and great hope. God, I pray that you would help us to see the fruit and effect of the Spirit of God and the Word of God in our lives, that we would communicate that graciously, that we would communicate that kindly, and that, God, above all, you would be honored and glorified in all of these things for your name's sake. God, thank you for the believers who are gathered together here in Belleville this afternoon. God, I pray that you continue to give grace and strength as they look to serve you and honor you. And we thank you so much for the work that you're doing. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.